0: Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. Today we're wrapping up our three-part series on replacement theology. We believe God and His Word has revealed a unique plan for Israel and the Jewish people, and it's at the very heart of our ministry to communicate this truth, And that's why we'd like to offer to you a free one-year subscription to our award-winning magazine, Israel My Glory.
1: If you've been listening to our series on replacement theology, you've heard from Dr. Mike Stallard on how the teaching that the church has replaced Israel is commonly taught from the pulpit all around the world. For 75 years, Israel My Glory magazine has been a publication with you in mind. We want to give you the biblical insights that will help you understand and teach to others why Israel still matters today. You can start your free 1-year subscription of Israel My Glory by going to foiradio.org. That's f o i as in Friends of Israel Radio.org. Today on the program, Dr. Mike Stallard will help conclude our series on replacement theology as we discuss the effects this theology has had on the relationship between Christians and Jews over the centuries. And then, apples of gold. But first, in the news. The winner of Lebanon's immigrant beauty pageant, Swedish-Lebanese Amanda Hanna, lost her title this August. Why? Because she visited Israel in 2016. According to Lebanese law, trips to Israel are illegal. After her tour to Israel, Hannah posted on Facebook, it turned out that I was wrong. She's referring to her preconceived negative assumptions about the Jewish state. After years of blaming Israel for the lack of peace in the Middle East, I hope the international community wakes up like Amanda to see who the real troublemakers are and arrives at the same conclusion she did when she said, it turned out that I was wrong about Israel. Over the past three weeks, we have been discussing replacement theology the idea that the church has replaced Israel and and really this is important because if you go to a church and you never hear your pastor or you you go to a Bible college and your teacher never ever has a hope or an anticipation for a revived national Israel then you can almost assume that their theology, the way that they interpret the scriptures has a replacement theology, in mind. And that's why I wanted to make sure that we had Dr. Mike Stollard with us. Doc, uh, Dr. Stollard was the dean, of, uh, dean at the Bible Baptist Seminary, and now he's the director of international ministries here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And so, Mike, great to have you again on the program. Thank you for being with us for three weeks now.
2: Oh, glad to be here.
1: It, it's been really informative for us to first, in our first week, we went back and we looked at the history of replacement theology, where it came from and how it infused itself into the church, and and then the next week, uh, we we looked at the the interpretation or the hermeneutics of replacement theology, how how people who hold to this form of theology that the church has replaced Israel interpret the Bible, and today— we want to talk about the effects of all of this. How has it affected the church? How has it affected our relationship with Israel and the Jewish people? And so uh, I guess my first question, before we get started to bring everybody back, what is replacement theology, Mike?
2: Well, replacement theology, in a nutshell, is that the church, that as we understand it coming out of the New Testament teaching, replaces, supersedes, or in some cases fulfills, Israel's place as the people of God. So Israel... Uh, and it, the plan for Israel is no longer on the table. Everything is subsumed under the, under the church.
1: Now, replace, if, if we say that the church has replaced Israel, then essentially we're saying God has abandoned Israel and the Jewish people. And, and what kind of effect has this had on the church's relationship with Jewish people over the past two millennia, really?
2: Okay, let me address that. I, I know there are different versions or different kinds of replacement theology. The the Roman Catholic version does speak more strongly about uh, God abandoning Israel. The covenant theologians uh, from the Presbyterian tradition uh, tend to be a little milder in, the, in their replacement theology, so they tend to talk more in terms of uh, the church continuing the promises of Israel in that sense, replace it that way, uh, but you see different uh, effects coming out of all that. But when you, I mean, it's it is a uh, tearful story. Hmm. Uh, the the Jews uh, being labeled as the Christ killers, and of course, to ask who killed Christ, that's a complicated question with a lot of answers, and certainly the leaders had their say there, the Jewish leaders, but to label the entire race as Christ-killers, or the entire people, and, and, and accuse them of things like blood libel, mm-hmm. you know, uh, stealing Christian children to, to use their blood in their ceremonies. Uh, and it and you know, gave rise to this animosity, and then you have the pogroms all throughout uh, church history, and it just pushed a deep wedge between Christians and Jews, so that Jewish people today Sometimes they refuse to even listen to a Christian Mm -hmm. uh, because there's built up all this animus that's been there forever, uh, and so they don't trust Christians, and and I can understand why. It's amazing because even our executive director,
1: uh, Jim Showers here, tells a story of how he was interacting with a Jewish friend of his, and... And thanks to that relationship, uh, his Jewish friend was actually able to see the cross differently. And he even said to uh, Jim, he said, you know, when I looked at that cross before, I I saw an enemy or I saw hate. But now when I know you and the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, I actually see love. And so it's amazing that right from the get go, even today in our modern era, a Jewish person would look at the cross and think hate and not love. Now, I want to go back again in history. You know, there's this, there is this uh, church father. His name is John Chrysostom, and he lived around 400 A.D., and, and this is his homily against the Jews. And just take a listen to this, uh, Mike, and then we'll talk about it. He said this, Jews are, Jews are dogs, stiff-necked, gluttonous, drunkards. This is a homily, Mike. <laughs> drunkards. They are beasts unfit for work. The Jews had fallen into a condition lower than the vilest animals. The synagogue is worse than the brothel and a drinking shop. It's a den of scoundrels, a temple of demons, the cavern of devils, a criminal assembly of the assassins of Christ. I hate the Jews because they violate the law. It's the duty. This This is the linchpin right here. It's the duty of all Christians to hate the Jews. Now, Mike, I'm not saying that all—I'm uh, not saying that those who hold to replacement theology that they're all anti-Semitic uh, at all. Uh, but I'm positive uh, Chrysostom was here, and and when you read the Bible, the Bible seems very philo-semitic. They, it seems like the Bible loves Israel and the Jewish people. How in the world did this happen where he's actually not even just saying, oh, God is done with Israel? It almost seems as though he's investing and pushing for
2: anti-Semitism and hate toward the Jewish people. How did that happen? He certainly seems to be happy uh, to say these things. Uh, I think th- the basic reason it happened is he ignored much of the teachings of Jesus. Right. Uh, Let's stop and think about that. Uh, Didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? So if the Jews are, in fact, the enemies of the faith, uh, then we should still love them. Mm -hmm. We should pursue them with love and proclamation. We should pursue everyone with love and proclamation. The Bible says God so loved the world. I think that includes the Jews. So he really even just had a skewed perspective of Jesus's basic teachings. Uh, forget the Old Testament; he's, right. he's just skipped right by Jesus. Right. and that's what happens when you let a theology become kind of the the uh, the grid by which you do things and read things. You you end up being very, very selective in the Bible about uh, what you believe, and he skipped over Jesus.
1: Now, I don't want to say it's a one-to-one ratio. You believe in replacement theology, therefore you are anti-Semitic like uh, like, uh, this church father here. But I will say this much. Don't you think that it almost kind of gives permission in some way, a small bit of permission to say things like that if you believe God is done with Israel and the Jewish
2: people? I, I think, yeah, the words that I would do, it opens the door. Right. Uh, the person still has to walk through it. So I would never say that a replacement theologian today is automatically anti-Semitic. I think no. that's inappropriate. No. Uh, but uh, it does lead to political criticism uh, and concerning modern Israel and Jewish people today. And there is a kind of assuming of the worst about the Jews in the Arab-Israeli conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of – I think it is given to accept fake news about the Middle East Mm -hmm. and what's really happening on the ground. Let me give you an example. Bruce Walker in his Old Testament theology book has a couple pages where he blames uh, dispensationalists like Friends of Israel people uh, and Zionists like we are who believe in the land promises to Israel. He blames us uh, partly for 9-11. That we've, uh, through our Zionism, influenced the United States government, and, and that has uh, caused a pro-Israel position, and it's angered the Arabs, so they hit us back. And so he blames us, and we need to get rid of that to save the nation. That's pretty much what he says in his Old Testament theology. Now, he's a replacement theologian. And there are many others like that who have been writing and speaking, and it, it kind of raises the specter of a new kind of anti-Semitism that is really anti-Zionist mm-hmm. and anti Israel. That's, what, that's what anti-Zionism means. You're
1: criticizing and you look down on the state of Israel as a whole, really, right?
2: Yes, and when you think that uh, 50% of all the resolutions of the United Nations since 1948 have been against Israel, that's right. replacement theologians kind of fall into that side of the spectrum in their criticisms.
1: You know, I, when the first time I went to Yad Vashem, I was captured by the fact that I was going through the the Holocaust Memorial, and you would expect the first the first part of the history of the Holocaust. You would expect to see maybe where Hitler was born and raised, but instead, I was surprised. I found Augustine, St. Augustine, and I found Martin Lu- pictures of Martin Luther and a history of replacement theology. So Yad Vashem, the Holocaust memorial, is actually saying the beginnings of the Holocaust, the beginnings of it actually have some of its roots. Again, we're not laying blame to it, but we're saying some of its roots go back to Replacement theology—that this has a direct effect, almost
2: in some way—would w- you say that's true? Uh yes. I might want to qualify it and say this: uh, we we don't really know uh, if the anti-Semitism would have been there without replacement theology. Mm-hmm. But they do. They, one does reinforce the other because the door is open. So uh, w- you know, as we look at that, uh, we again we can't say that every person who is replacement in their outlook is anti-Semitic but the roots of what they believe do have some tinges of anti-Semitism, and some of them pretty strong tinges.
1: We've been speaking with
2: Dr. Mike Stollard,
1: who is the Director of International Ministries here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and we have been looking over the past three weeks, we've been looking at the issue of replacement theology, the history of it in the church, uh, its hermeneutics, its interpretation, how how one comes to the interpretation of replacement theology, and then finally today, we were enlightened to the the application of it, essentially, or or the the effects of replacement theology that it's had on the church. And its relationship with Israel and the Jewish people over the past two millennia. Dr. Stollard, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your insights with us uh, for the past three weeks.
2: You're welcome.
0: Have you ever wondered how Bible believing pastors can interpret the scriptures differently when it comes to Israel? Why does one say God is through with the Jewish nation while the other teaches a literal future for Israel? Chris, some might be thinking, does it matter? And is there really that big of a difference between these two schools of theology? Steve, there really is a
1: difference between covenant and dispensational theology. And that's why we'd like to recommend Dr. Reynolds Schauer's book, There Really Is a Difference. Dr. Showers takes the two popular theological systems or approaches to reading and understanding the scriptures and compares them side by side in an easy-to-understand way. To
0: purchase your copy of There Really Is a Difference, go to foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940. That's foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940.
1: I always find it amazing that despite replacement theology, despite centuries of anti-Semitism, both inside the church and outside, despite the Holocaust, Jewish people still made their way back to the land of Israel according to what God's word promised. You know, anthropologists will argue that ancient people groups, like the ones that we read about in the Bible and history, often suffered the same fate. They were either assimilated into another people, or they were annihilated by another people. We can actually see this lived out in the scriptures. When the Assyrian Empire exiled the northern 10 tribes of Israel in 722 BC, most in those 10 tribes were exiled and some were left behind. But what happened was the Assyrians then planted Gentiles in the land who brought their false gods and intermarried with the Israelites that were left behind. These people eventually in the New Testament become Samaritans. Or remember when the tribe of Judah was threatened by the Babylonian Empire who removed the Jews to Babylon, forcing them to be like Babylonians and to worship like the Babylonians. The whole prophecy of Daniel is surrounded by Daniel's discipline to not bend his knee to a false god or to a king, but to remain dedicated to God in a Gentile environment, always maintaining that hope, that that Jewish hope that comes from the scriptures for restoration in their ancient homeland, Israel. And this is just the biblical stories. We definitely heard from Dr. Mike Stollard that in church history, Jewish people have suffered under the hands of bad theology, anti-Semitism, and even forced conversions. How is it possible that throughout history, the Jewish people have not only survived, but maintained their unique identity And at the same time, miraculously return to their ancient ancestral homeland. How is that possible? Well, when you look at the letter to the Romans, the, the letter that Paul wrote, Paul gives a very clear defense that everyone is a sinner who is in need of salvation through our Savior Jesus Christ. And every saved sinner then begins the process of sanctification and is sealed by the Holy Spirit and secure in Christ. That, my friends, is Romans 1 through 8 right there. And then all of a sudden, Paul launches into Romans 9 through 11, and he begins to ask the question, is God through with Israel? Have they stumbled in sin so bad that they have fallen out of favor with God? Paul replies, and you probably have heard this before, may it never be. Scholars often wonder why Paul gives such a dynamic theological defense for sin, salvation, Sanctification and security in Romans 1 through 8. And then all of a sudden in Romans 9 through 11, he starts to talk about Israel. Well, here's what I think. In Romans chapter 8, God reminds the believer that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. They are secure in Christ because they are sealed by the Spirit. It's a passage on security. And I believe Paul uses Romans 9-11 through to show Christians just how secure they really are in the faithfulness of God. Despite all the sin and disobedience Israel has shown towards God over the millennia, he reminds us he is not through with them. May it never be. Because God is faithful to his promises. There are Jews around today because God is faithful to his promises. There's an Israel today because God is faithful to his promises. Think about it, my friends. Statistically, from a human perspective, Israel and the Jewish people shouldn't be here today. They should have been assimilated or been annihilated a long time ago, but they weren't. They're still here. They're still here today as a testimony of God's faithfulness. That despite the impact and influence replacement theology had on the church over the centuries, God would remain faithful to his promises. And think about this. If God can remain faithful to a people who have turned away from him time after time, think of how much more God will remain faithful to those who trust in his son and believe in him. The Jewish people and the nation of Israel are here today not because of their own strength, but because of the faithfulness of God. And let's be honest, replacement theology never stood a chance against the faithfulness of God.
0: Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher.
3: When I returned home from one of my frequent army tours of duty, I took my family for a walk through the district of Meashiram, inhabited by the most Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem. Several children were dancing around a bonfire singing, We shall rebuild the Holy Temple. When I came close, I noticed New Testaments burning in the bonfire. I asked the children, Why do you burn these books? I said, everything in this book is about the living God and Messiah. They all shouted, we must destroy it. Burning these books is a mitzvah, which means a good deed. Suddenly a bearded man came up and said, throw that book back into the fire. I said, I will not throw this holy book into the fire I will show it to your rabbi and ask him if he permitted you to do this. As soon as I said this, the rabbi came. I opened the New Testament and started reading from it at random. The page to which I opened was Hebrews 11. I read it aloud and all listened. And when I finished, the rabbi asked, Did you study in the yeshiva? No, I said, the book was my yeshiva. Then I opened to Matthew chapter five, verse forty three and forty four. You have heard what it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. The rabbis looked at the New Testament and shouted, He's a Goy. Goy means Gentile. I said, I only tried to show you what this book is all about. Here, you may have it if you still want to burn it. He reached out to take the book, but suddenly his hand started shaking. I asked, Why are you shaking? Perhaps the Spirit of God is speaking to you. This New Testament is the same Holy Scripture. Of whom did Isaiah speak when he wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Or this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." You are burning the very faith you profess to believe. I am also a Jew, I said, but I believe with all my heart in Messiah. Through him I receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. His poor lamb started yelling, Meshumid, Meshumid means apostate. This time the rabbi silenced them and asked me, Are you? Are you still angry at me? No, I'm not angry at you or your foolish sheep. I just feel sorry. I gave him the New Testament and asked him to read it. This time he did not cast it into the fire, but put it into his pocket. A good sign, the Lord can do the rest.
0: We'd like to thank Dr. Mike Stallard for being with us today, and I'll mention the book, There Really Is a Difference, one more time. This book will clear up any questions you might have about replacement theology. Purchase your copy from us today. Because of people like you, the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry has been sharing the love of the Messiah and supporting Israel and the Jewish people since 1938. If you feel led to support our work or you simply want to reach out to us, I invite you to visit foiradio.org today. That's foiradio.org. Or you can call us on our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Write to us at FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Quickly again, that's FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Please let us know where you're listening when you call or write. Our host and teacher is Chris Katulka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.